This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg So we learned last week that although you find Hashem's wisdom, God's wisdom in everything that exists, but everything that exists, godliness is concealed, is hidden. Versus the Torah, although the Torah does discuss something physical, and the object, the subject matter that the Torah discusses is physical, civil law, financial law, person who exchanges a donkey with an axe. So the donkey and the axe we're discussing are not holy. It's a donkey and it's an axe. But nevertheless, what we're learning in the Torah, we're not, discuss, we're not dealing here the axe and the donkey or the subject matter. Although it's material, we're talking, discussing this physical material world, whether it's agriculture or animals, whatever it may be. What we're discussing is the divine. What is Hashem's will? What is Hashem's wisdom? What does Hashem want? What does Hashem desire? What, how does Hashem think? What does Hashem think about this case? What is his opinion? So therefore, what we're, we are dealing here with, with, uh, with godliness, in an, which is in an open and transparent way. Because the subject matter, yes, the subject matter is material. The whole world is the subject matter of the Torah. The Torah deals with every aspect of reality. But the whole world here is just here to, it's just a subject matter to convey Hashem's wish and Hashem's wisdom. Guilty, not guilty, kosher, not kosher, pure, impure, correct, not correct, true, false. What is God's opinion? So, so it's, it's, I'm just using it almost as a prop. The world here is just here as a prop to convey the divine wisdom. Therefore, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't conceal. It's like when a, a finger conveys an idea. You write down an idea. I'm writing with my finger. <laughs> the finger doesn't block, doesn't interfere. It just transmits the idea in all its purity. It doesn't get in the way. Why? It's a finger. A finger is not a vessel for, for an idea. Sense of touch in the world of ideas of no connection. <laughs> you can't touch an idea. Yet, I can take the idea with my touch, with my finger, and write it down and transmit it and convey it faithfully, clearly. So even though it goes through the finger, but it's, it's, not, it's not, I'm not dealing here with a sense of touch. I'm dealing here with an idea. I'm writing down ideas. Even though the Torah deals with the physical and the material, but it's just, it's just a conveying an idea. And therefore, godliness is completely revealed and transparent. 
versus the angel or the soul or the created being that is trying to develop a relationship with God and trying to connect with Hashem and has a feeling of love and attraction and closeness and a feeling of awe and distance and, and has an understanding of Hashem. All created beings are, are separate and apart. I exist and I'm trying to get close my creator, I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to comprehend, I'm trying to understand the, the, my cause and my root and my source and, and where it all comes from. I'm trying to get closer to the truth, to Hashem. Versus the whole underlying assumption of the Torah is nothing exists. All that exists is Hashem. God is sitting for himself and is mine and Hashem is thinking. And because Hashem is thinking, therefore, he created the world. The whole world is just here to express an idea, an idea of the Torah. The whole assumption of the Torah is that nothing exists but God. And God created the world, not that the world exists. And God gave us a Torah to help us, to give us a, a wise way of living and to give us some principles and by which to live by and some nice ideas. The whole underlying assumption of the Torah is that God had a vision and He created the world. The whole world is here just to express an idea of the Torah. Because it says in the Torah you should give charity, you should give tzedakah. So He created the whole world of finance. <laughs> so everything in the world is just here to express an idea in the Torah. You have 248 mitzvahs. God gave us 248 limbs. You have 365 prohibitions. He gave us 365 veins. The whole world here is just here like a prop to express an idea. Like in a court case, you want to an express a concept. So you convey the concept by a case. Okay, here's a case, this is what happened, so and so. You have a defendant, you have a claimant, and you have an argument. And all this whole thing is just here to convey an idea, to convey a principle, a, a law. What is the law? What is co the correct approach? So everything in this world, from a Torah point of view, everything in the world is really just here to convey an idea, to convey what does the Torah have to say? What does God have to say about this in this case? So the whole underlying assumption of the Torah is really godly and divine. We really, all we're dealing with here, all that really exists from a Torah point of view is God. There is nothing else. God is sitting for himself and he's studying Torah. And he's thinking about the world. He has a vision. He has a vision and he's conveying that vision and everything that's created. There's nothing in this world that exists that, that doesn't originate in the Torah. Because God looked into the Torah and he created the world. The Torah is the blueprint. Torah is not just rules and laws. That's what people don't understand about the Torah. People think that Mount Sinai was a convention of rules and laws. A constitution. Torah is not rules and laws. Torah is not a constitution. Torah challenges the whole underlying assumption of existence. What the Jews experienced at Sinai, which is why they expired in ecstasy, because they realized there is nothing. Nothing exists. The Torah tells us all that exists is really Hashem. And Hashem had a vision, and therefore He created. So everything in this world is just here to convey another Torah aspect, another Torah concept. Something is kosher, something is not kosher. Something is good, something is poison. Guilty, not guilty. Pure, impure. Obligated, not obligated. Permitted, forbidden. So everything in the world is really here just to convey an idea in the Torah, God's perspective. 
So yes, even though I'm dealing with the physical, the Torah deals with the practical and the nitty-gritty of everyday life and every aspect of our life, from financial to civil law, to religious law, to the agricultural law. Every aspect of life is covered in the Torah. But the world is just a canvas to convey something that has nothing to do with this world. It's conveying Hashem and His wisdom and His, and his brilliance and His mind, what He's thinking and, and His approach and the principles in the Torah. So, so when I'm learning Torah, even though I'm learning the practical, but it's godly. It's a godly experience. Yes, I'm learning about the animals. And the Torah gets into the nitty-gritty of the animals. If a rabbi has to go and study about the animal in depth, understand, before a rabbi can give a verdict, a halachic verdict, he has to understand. To give, a, to give a, a verdict in medical ethics, I have to understand anatomy, and I have to understand the body, and I have to understand medicine, modern medicine, understand it well. But when the doctor is studying the body, he's studying medicine. <laughs> When the rabbi is studying the body, it's Torah, it's divine, it's not just... You know, when the botanist is studying the plant, it's botany. When the rabbi is studying the law and agriculture, the whole order of, of agriculture and the Torah, and he's getting down to the nitty-gritty of every plant and every t- the tomato and the potato and the roots and understanding it, how it works, this is Torah, he's studying the divine. He's not just studying botany and agriculture. It's just the canvas, it's just the finger that's conveying the, what's beyond, that's conveying Hashem's mind, the principle, what Hashem thinks, what Hashem is thinking about this, uh, this man. So everything here is just to convey, so it's a whole different approach, versus the world on its own. You start out with the premise of ego, I exist, an independent entity that's trying to get close to Hashem, that's trying to be mystical, and trying to be spiritual, and trying to be sensitive and trying to love Hashem and to understand Hashem and to understand the truth and get closer to the truth and go deeper into but the whole underlying premise is that there's something an entity that's separate and apart from Hashem versus with the Torah the whole underlying premise of the Torah is that it's divine and godly so even when you're learning not just when you're learning mysticism even when you're learning the Mishnah the Talmud the Halacha which deals with the lulav and the yasrug and deals with all the practical things, I'm dealing with the divine. I'm dealing with something that's godly. That's why the learning of Torah is so sacred, so special, so uplifting, inspiring. That's why Jews can't wait to study Torah. We've been studying Torah for 3,330 years. A Jew is 99, has been studying since he's three years old, can't wait to wake up another morning and spend another 18 hours studying Torah. It doesn't matter whether it's seemingly practical or not practical. I'm learning about laws that are not, I'm sitting on the Upper East Side and learning about laws of the temple. There is no temple today, unfortunately, and laws that have no practical application. And yet we're so eager and so excited to learn all these laws and all these mitzvot in great detail because what I'm studying is I'm studying the divine in a direct and open, in a manifest way, in a transparent way. This is uh, what it's all about. Why do we have to have so many obstacles put in our way? Uh, why don't we be more like angels, so to speak? Uh, you know? Why is there so much confusion? You know, you know although um, 
marriages are made in heaven, there are no marriages in heaven. <laughs> the soul has to come down into this world in order to get married. Because in heaven, you're too perfect. Heaven, if you're an angel and you're perfect, you can't get married because I'm too perfect. Two perfect people can get married. What's the other person going to add to my life? It's taking away from my life. You're infringing. The soul comes down into this world. In this world, you learn to be a half. In this world, you learn to be vulnerable. You, our weakness is actually our strength. Because the great Hasidic master, Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin, once said, there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. Learning to be broken, learning to be half, that I'm incomplete and I really need another person. And the other person completes me, which is really what love is, real love is. Not the American concept of love, which is enough to give you the chills. But the genuine concept of love, truly loving another person is, you know, when you are free to be vulnerable, you're open to need another person. I'm really need, I'm a half, I need another person. The other person makes me whole. I can't make myself whole. I'm not in a rugged individual, even though I'm an American, I'm not a self-sufficient. To be in that position, to make yourself vulnerable that I need another person, which means the other person to show a part of yourself that's open. Children are very vulnerable. That's why we love children. <laughs> not only our own children. Children are just so lovable because they're not afraid to be vulnerable. They're not afraid to show their weak side. They're not afraid to, to be honest and to need and to, they're dependent on us and they're, 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 you know, they're so open and so raw and so real you just can't help but love them in return. But then we become very defensive. We become very, uh, you know, I'm, I don't need anyone and I'm, I'm okay and I'm, I'm independent. And we try to be like angels. We're perfect. <laughs> I don't need anyone. So it's in this world which appears to be the lowest of all the worlds and seems to be such a broken world. But ironically, in this world, we have a gold nugget. We can accomplish something that we can't accomplish in all the other worlds. Which is marriage, which is learning to be a half, which enables us to create the astonishing miracle of creating, of having children, something that will outlive us. Angels don't have the power to create. As, as great as they are and as holy as they are, they are not partners with God in creation. We have that ability be partners in creation. It's like the irony of irony and the paradox of paradoxes. Where do we see the power, the most creative power? In the earth. We all trample on the earth. It's the lowest element. And yet only the earth has renewable energy. It's, you can always renew. It's infinite. You plant and it'll always grow and grow. Who would think? The higher uh, found the elements, they don't have that ability. Where do you find that ability? Only in the earth. So our world is the lowest of all the worlds. We are the dregs of the universe. <laughs> we are this earth, the lowest level, of course, the crash, the material, the tangible, the physical, the body, versus all the lofty spiritual realms, the divine realm. But where do you find this creativity?
the ability to create, the ability to create something infinite. How can we finite create something that's infinite? Create something that will outlive us and go on forever and ever. It's because, precisely because we are in this world of darkness and chaos and confusion and seems such a fragmented world, such a broken world, and such a challenging world, and such a difficult world. But the truth is we are in the engine room of the universe. We are in the driver's seat of the whole entire universe. Whatever we do in this world changes and affects and transforms the whole universe. The whole world is dependent on us. Unlike the foolish uh, scientists who don't believe, who think that we are just a speck of dust, a speck in the universe, we're nothing, we're insignificant. You can't even find the earth. You know, you go to the planetarium, you can't, you can't even you take a look how tiny we are, you can't even find us. And yet the Torah says we are the center of the whole universe. Not only the center of all the trillions and zillions of galaxies and stars, we are the center of all the, the divine worlds and the spiritual worlds and the higher levels of consciousness and the infinite angels. We are in the driver's seat. And Hashem Himself watches us with the bated breath, so to speak, and depends on us. Because we are the only ones who can coronate Him as King. We are the only ones who can accept Him through our freedom of choice. We accept Him as a sovereign. He can't be king over angels. If you have no choice, then they're like ministers. You can't be a king over your children. You can't be a king over yourself. You can't be a king over your ministers. You can only be a king over subjects that willingly choose you as their sovereign. So the fact that we have this darkness and chaos and confusion and we can go either way and it's a free marketplace and we have choice and God doesn't zap us, lightning doesn't strike us if we make the wrong choices. It's a free world, do as you want. And we have to compete with every ism and every wild idea that's out there. And yet, when yet we, with our wisdom, make ourselves vulnerable to Hashem and choose Hashem, choose to enter into this relationship with Hashem, this is, we coronate God as King of the universe. The whole universe depends and waits for us to make that wise choice to do the right thing, to speak the right thing, to say the right thing. Whatever we do 24-7, whatever we're thinking, in the privacy of our mind, no one knows what we're thinking. No one will ever know. Only Hashem knows. But whatever we think and our attitudes and whatever we say, we say the truth, we don't say the truth, we slander, we don't slander, the slightest thing that we do, the whole universe hangs on us, depends on us. That's why God created the world with other, one. Because He single-handedly changed the whole world. God asked Him not to eat from the tree. Had He listened, he would have coronated God as king of the universe. By not listening, he single-handedly demoted God from being king. And by demoting God from being king, he demoted the whole universe. And the whole universe plunged into, 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 into darkness. So too, every one of us has to think and view ourselves as if we are the only human being alive. And the whole world depends on us. I mean, there's no room for modesty. It's not being modest. I'm nothing. I'm an insignificant nobody. What difference does it make? I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a this. I'm not a rebbe. Every one of us has to say that we are the center of the universe. And the whole world depends on my actions. It matters. I matter. You know, someone, someone said if he suffers from insecurity, 
you think that nobody notices, nobody cares about you, stop paying your bills, and all of a sudden you'll see how suddenly people remember you, and uh, you care, and you're married. The lawyer wants to speak to you, and the judge wants <laughs> Everything that we do really matters. We're not lost in the crowd. Oh, the seven billion people, and what difference does it make? And I'm just a social security number, and I'm a nothing, and I'm insignificant, and what difference does it make how I behave on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday afternoon? Who cares? Who will notice? Who difference? So that's why Hashem created this world in such a way, all this chaos and this confusion. So when we do the right choice and we do the right thing, it's so valuable and it's so precious. And we are in the driver's seat. The whole universe depends on us. So it matters and we matter. We can single-handedly change the whole universe. Single-handedly. Through one good deed. Maimonides says, he quotes the Talmud, that everyone is obligated to view himself and the whole world as constantly being on an equal scale. Through our one single good deed, whether in action or even in speech or even in thought and attitude, we single-handedly tip the scale and we bring redemption to the whole entire world. The Hebrew word for exile is gola. The Hebrew word for redemption, geula. One letter, difference, aleph. All it takes, one Jew, one mitzvah, to single-handedly tip the scale, revolutionize human consciousness. Just like Adam, through that one single deed, What's the big deal? He didn't eat from a tree. He ate from the tree. What's he? he didn't murder anyone. didn't rape anyone. But through that one single act, single-handedly demoted the whole universe, through our one single act, we can single-handedly, today, literally elevate, transform human consciousness and usher in the messianic era. So what a, an empowering way to live. What a powerful way. Hashem has so much confidence in us. Hashem has so much trust in us. But to do that, we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We have to allow ourselves to, to be honest, to be genuine. And that's what makes us feel closer. And that's what makes us create true love and healthy relationships. And a healthy relationship with Hashem. So the soul is to come down into this world, which is a plunge for the soul. It's like from the peak to the abyss. A roller coaster ride all the way to the bottom. But in this world, the Shammah could feel a little brokenhearted, feel vulnerable, and be open to truly marry Hashem. Only in this world could we marry Hashem. Mount Sinai was the marriage of the Jewish people and God. The temple was where we live together with our spouse. And the third temple, that's when God will consummate his marriage and move in with us permanently and eternally in the holy land of Israel, which is for his chosen people, his land, his homeland, and his palace and his capital, Jerusalem. And then the whole world will be um, a moral, ethical, spiritual, and Torah place. That's God's vision for this world. The Torah is God's vision for this world, where the world will be perfect. But where do you find that perfection? paradoxically in this broken world and shattered world that we live in only in this world are we going to find and create that perfection Mashiach redemption so to achieve redemption for the whole universe only we can achieve it only in this setting 
Only in this darkness and chaos and confusion and only in this world could we discover that infinite ability to regenerate and recreate. And so it's the exact opposite of the way of, or the world appears to be. And that's coming back to the Torah. The world, the Hebrew word for world, olam, comes from the world helem. It's hidden and concealed. Because this world is a con. And part of the world's con is that the world puts up a front that it's coarse and crass and the antithesis of genuineness and godliness and holiness. But that's part of the lie. <laughs> Nothing could be further than the truth. Our world is the holiest of all the world. Our world has the greatest potential of all the world. Our world is where... And that's what the Torah represents. Torah is, is God's blueprint for reality. It's God's vision for reality. When God envisioned this world, our world is a perfect world. When He created the world, it was a Garden of Eden. And it once was a Garden of Eden. For a brief moment it was, till Adam sinned. When he gave us the Torah, once again, the world was restored back to its original place. And then the Jews sinned with the golden calf. And we reverted right back, like Adam sinned. We've been working at it ever since, for the last 3,330 years. And now the good news is that the world is ready once again. Now, after such effort, such the choices that we've made over the last 3,330 years, the Jewish people, in the darkest moments, we remained faithful. Every Jew that's alive today, because our parents and ancestors, that any interruption for thousands of years, were faithful to Hashem and faithful to our Jewishness and lived this marriage and lived this relationship. And we made ourselves vulnerable to Hashem. And we studied Torah. We did the mitzvot and we, we, we prayed and, and we did uh, good deeds and tzedakah. So we now, now the world is ready for the world to become a Torah world, Hashem's vision for this world, where the whole world will, will look like exactly the way Hashem envisioned it, where every Jew in the world will fulfill all 613 mitzvot, and all the 7 billion people will become righteous Gentiles and follow the 7 Noahide laws, and the world will become a moral, ethical, and spiritual place. And we're literally a second away from this happening as a result of the accumulation of thousands of years of Torah and this has been our project. This is what we've exactly been working on. That's the vision of the Torah. Perfection, wholeness. And where are you going to find that perfection? Where are we going to create this perfection? In this world that we live in. In this seeming darkness and chaos and confusion and absurdity and ridiculousness. In this reality, we are going to... In Gola, the world, the word itself of exile will be transformed and revealed. The Aleph will emerge this wholeness and this perfection, this vision of Torah. So I'm a little bit confused between a mindset, so that we, a healthy mindset, so that we can be more positive in our deeds and thoughts, and understanding of actuality, or let's say a truth, in a way. So for example, when we say that God is embedded in everything that we live, this is the truth, this is actuality. But sometimes having a different mindset is helpful so that we can understand better God inside that. And in, even the opposite way, so when you, uh, my mom and you were quoting and you were saying that we're in this 50-50, this is a healthy mindset, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's just positive so that we can go in the right direction. Uh, so coming back to where you were saying about uh, understanding God inside subjects, isn't necessarily maybe a healthy mindset to understand it separated and the skepticism of science, uh, just like doctors, for example, so that we can find more holiness after that and how to do it 
in a healthy way. Well, what Maimonides is saying is that, that it's the power, it's the truth, the power of one single mitzvah. You know, the whole revolution of science, by the way, and especially in the 20th century, is discovering the infinite in the tiniest how we approach the atom. No one has ever seen an atom. You can't see an atom. But if you approach the atom correctly, you can unleash almost its infinite power by approaching it correctly. In other words, there's an infinity you can find in the tiniest. The atom is just as complex as the whole universe. Our brain is just as complex as the whole, u- whole universe, all the galaxies. To be able to find and to unleash it. So the fact that one mitzvah, one good deed, one even good speech, a choice, that choice to speak properly. You had a choice to speak otherwise, and you chose to do the right thing, and you chose to act properly, and you chose to speak gently instead of the opposite, and you spoke, you chose to have a positive attitude instead of succumbing to a negative attitude. The fact that that simple choice, you, that simple person, that simple choice, has the ability to tip the scale, it tells me that one good deed is enough it's like that atom that if you approach it properly, you can create a nuclear explosion. You can unleash infinite amount of energy. So that is a truth. That that simple act does have the power to unleash this energy that could transform the whole universe single-handedly. And you have to believe that and you have to understand that. Because if one, if one mitzvah didn't have that power, then all the mitzvah together wouldn't either have that power. The fact that even one little tiny, it's like that tiny little atom. Yes, but this tiny little atom, you can light up the whole world with this tiny little atom if you know how to approach it properly. So you have to believe that. It's not just a mindset. It's not just a positive attitude. It's the truth that this single Jew and the single mitzvah does have the power to tap in, to unleash this tremendous amount of energy. So even though it appears we live in a very materialistic world and you think to yourself, what am I? I'm insignificant. I'm one person. What difference does it make? It's a Wednesday afternoon, this little good deed. What difference does it make if I tell the truth? I don't tell the truth. I slander. I don't slander. I have a positive attitude. I don't have a positive attitude. I do the right thing. I, don't do I give a penny to the dog. It's just a penny. What's the big deal? Who cares? You really have to know the truth that that single good deed has the power, does have the power because it reflects the infinite. Just like the sun. The sun is reflected in the whole ocean and the sun is reflected in every drop. The same sun. The drop reflects the whole sun just like the whole ocean. So the infinite, Hashem could be found everywhere. Everything. Even the tiniest. You don't need a lot of quantity. In the olden days, you wanted to make an explosion, you needed a lot of TNT. Revolution of science, you don't need with a little atom. You can't even see the atom. If you approach it properly, you can unleash an infinite amount of energy. Because Hashem is found everywhere. If Hashem is found everywhere, then everything reflects and contains the infinite. See, even I, as a small person, by doing one single mitzvah, one deed, you can, if you approach it properly, you can, you can touch the infinite. You can unleash the infinite. And you can, in a positive way, if Adam could sin and debase the whole universe, the power of good is so much more powerful. Imagine doing a simple good deed that you have the power to elevate the whole entire universe. And every Jew is obligated to always view himself that way, to know that truth. Because that empowers us. Which is the message of all the shluchim of the Rebbe, the 5,000 Chabad houses like this all over the world. What is our message to the 70,000 Jews living in the Upper East Side? Exactly that. 
That was the Rebbe's message. This halacha, every Jew, imagine every Jew in the world living with this halacha, with this truth. That my extra good deed, I can do one mitzvah today. And that simple mitzvah, by adding, let me give an extra penny to tzedakah, let me study Torah an extra minute, let me push myself, let me take one step forward, a baby step forward. If every Jew in the world did, took one baby step forward, from the greatest to the smallest, and took personal responsibility for changing and transforming the whole world. We can do it. It's so doable. It's so practical. It's so real. Don't rely on the rabbis to bring Mashiach. Don't rely on the rabbis to bring Mashiach. We have to take charge. We have to own it. We have to take responsibility that I am responsible. And the whole world rests on my shoulders. And God himself is standing in front of me and waiting with bated breath, so to speak. What's going to be your choice? Are you going to put the crown on my head? Am I king of the universe? Or, God forbid, <laughs> we can demote God of being king of the universe. It's up to me. Every, the whole, everyone is waiting for my choice. It's, it's so meaningful. It's so real. It's a relationship. God can't marry himself. He can't marry yourself as much as we love ourselves. <laughs> it's the other person who willingly chooses to enter into the relationship that makes him marry. So God can't marry himself. He's waiting for us. We are the only ones who can coronate him as king. We're the only ones who can marry him by choice. That's the world that we live in. We have choice. Otherwise he's not a king. Otherwise it's not a marriage. Otherwise he's a dictator. He just imposes himself. That's why only in this world, this is the most dynamic of all the worlds. This is the most real. The most, this is where all the action is. This is where we're in the engine room of the whole universe. Everything depends on us. So it's, it's, it empowers us. It's so exciting that we have in our hands, we have the answer. It's all up to us. We can bring Mashiach now, today, this moment, every one of us. That's the truth. But to do that, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. You have to be open. You have to be a little egoless, a little brokenhearted, a little... If a person wants to, if the seed... In order for the seed to grow, the seed has to rot first. If a seed wants to remain a seed, nothing happens. <laughs> if a person is rigid, I'm a stone. I'm proud of who I am. I'm a stone and I'm not changing and I'm going to parade in the streets. I'm proud of who I am. Then nothing happens. Then you are literally nothing. But when you are open and vulnerable, the seed allows itself to lose itself. Yes, it has to rot, and for a moment it's a very, uh, then what am I? I'm nothing. <laughs> that moment I'm nothing. I'm not a seed, I'm, I'm not the tree that I'm going to grow into yet. Uh, I'm nothing. You have to squeeze the olive. When you squeeze the olive, what happens at that moment? It's a very vulnerable moment. At that moment, I'm neither an olive, and I'm neither, I'm neither oil. I'm nothing. You have to crush the grape. I'm not wine yet, and I'm, I'm just a crushed, I just feel crushed. But when you crush the grape, then it starts fermenting. The seed starts rots, and then it starts growing. You crush the olive, you get the oil. So you have to be vulnerable. If there's no egolessness, and there's no humility, and there's no openness, and there's no brokenheartedness, if I'm proud of who I am, and I swear I will never change, and anyone who dares suggest that I should change, I'm going to rest, because how dare you suggest that I need to change? I'm good the way I am, I'm a stone. And this is the way I was born, and this is the way I was created, and I'm never going to change, and I promise I'll never change, and no one should ever dare even suggest the possibility that I can change. This is, this is not, this is pride. This is not being proud. 
You should never be proud of who you are. You should be proud of what you could become. You can unleash your potential. But if you remain as is, then you've closed all the doors. You've shut your mind. You've closed all the doors. There's no possibility for change, for growth. You've reduced yourself to nothingness, to nihilism, to a lifestyle of total nihilism, nothingness. You're nothing. And it's a very nihilistic approach to life. Yeah, nothing matters because we're just a blip in the universe anyway. I'm just one of So who cares? Live as you please. Live for the moment. Enjoy yourself. Nothing matters. I don't come from anywhere. Am I going anywhere? There's no divine plan. There's no purpose. Just live for the moment and have fun and I'll be my own God and I'll decide what's right and wrong. It's, it's such a dead end. It's such a nihilistic lifestyle. It's such the antithesis of everything that's godly and holy and good and truth and genuine. So that's our choice. That's the open marketplace that we have to compete. You want to buy into that nonsense, into that nihilistic dead end? Any society that tried that literally obliterated itself and came to, uh, to a dead end? Or you want to flourish and grow and live, create a Garden of Eden, and make this world into a Torah world, a godly world, where Hashem envisioned a beautiful world? That's our choice. Do you have the wisdom to differentiate between junk food, junk lifestyle? Between, this is snake oil. You're buying into that snake oil? This is the philosophy and ideology you're buying into? This is, this is, this is, this is snake oil. This is junk. This is, oh, they camouflage it in beautiful language and beautiful, but it's, it's you have to have the wisdom to make a choice. Who am I going to believe? Do I believe Hashem? Or am I going to believe these uh, Bernie Madoffs on steroids who you're not only going to lose your life savings, you're going to lose your life and your soul and your eternity and everything else. Or you're going to trust Hashem, your creator who's telling you the truth like it is, like mother's milk. It's, it's truth, it's honest, it's loving. This is reality. Who are you going to trust? The Torah? You're going to take the Torah's perspective on life? Or are you going to buy into all this nonsense? Not even the choice. <laughs> of course, we're wise enough to say, of course, I'm going to take the Torah any day over these snake oil salesmen who are not your friends, they're your worst enemies, enough to give you the chills. So this is the choice that we have. So, but in order to unleash all of that, in order to unleash that atomic energy that we have inside of us, you have to have a little, you have to be vulnerable, a little egolessness, a little humility, a little openness. A little restlessness that maybe I want to change, maybe I'm open to change, maybe I have to get out of myself a little, maybe I have to change myself a little, grow and be open to it. Without that, nothing could happen. So we live in the best of all worlds. That opportunity that we have in this world, we don't have anywhere else. That's why it's worthwhile for the soul to come down with all the trauma and the darkness and the chaos and it's dangerous and, and people get hurt and we make foolish choices and we hurt ourselves and it's risky. It's like, it's like you, you're risking, risking your money in a business deal. You can lose everything or you can become a multimillionaire. You're not playing it safe. The soul coming down to this world, you're not playing it safe. Everything is on the line. You're risking everything but it's worthwhile because the rewards are so tremendous. You can become a billionaire. So yes, you can lose everything, but you can become a billionaire. So it's worth the risk. So yes, so this is a very, this is where it's happening. <laughs> this is where it's at.
We are it. We are living it, especially in our day and age. We are living in that moment in history where any moment we can achieve the goal, accomplish our mission, and actually usher in and bring Mashiach and, uh, and revolutionize human consciousness and transform ourselves and the world around us, our communities and the whole entire world into a Torah world. Where Hashem's vision for reality will be totally manifest. So we are living in very special times. So we have to appreciate it. So the darkness also intensifies. Right before the dawn, that's when it, it turns the darkest. You know, we live here in the Upper East Side, probably the largest concentration of world-class hospitals in the world. People come from all over the world. And, and unfortunately, we've seen it so many times that people who come here every Shabbat because their loved ones are in the hospital, and then they say, oh, it's unbelievable. Our loved one took a turn for the better. We haven't seen them so good in years. We're going home next week. It's wonderful. Then we don't see them. And two months later, unfortunately, they're back. It's all over. Like the last hurrah. The person feels that it's all over. Somehow you just tap into this reservoir of hidden strength and, and the person suddenly feels better and looks better, but it's really the last hurrah before total collapse. It's like in wrestling. When one side feels it's about to lose, it just summons its strength and it's the last hurrah. So too with evil today. Evil senses it's all over. The curtain is about to come down. It's about to go, to go the way of communism. It's over. It's finished. Mashiach is coming. It's, it's, it's finished. It's a done deal. It's, it's gone. It, it failed. Evil failed. We tried communism. We tried this ism, that ism. All the isms in the world. It all collapsed. If this is what evil has come to, blowing yourself up, mothers encouraging their children to blow themselves up and burn men, women, and children alive. And, 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 and these are what the intellectuals are encouraging and supporting, the intellectual elite, that Israel is the pariah of the world and these monsters are their heroes. If this is what evil has come to. I mean, even the Nazis didn't blow themselves up. It's over, it's finished. You're, dragging, you're, 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 you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. It's over. There's nothing left. Evil knows that it's over. So it's putting up its last hurrah. It's like fighting with everything that it has just to, just to live another day. So instead of being discouraged, we should only be encouraged. We should realize that it's literally a second away and it's up to us to put the, the last nail in the coffin <laughs> and to be stronger and become stronger and strengthen our relationship with Hashem, strengthen our connection with Hashem, become more vulnerable, more open, more genuine, more sincere, more Torah, more mitzvah, more prayer, more tzedakah. And, um, and uh, hopefully next uh, class will be given by the Alter Rebbe himself, Mashiach Uvir. <laughs> the Alter Rebbe himself will teach us Tanya. And whoever studies Tanya in exile, will, I'm sure it merit to be sitting around the table and be the first ones to be able to sit in the front row and Alter Rebbe himself teaches Tanya. They'll be there allowed in. Did you study Tanya when you were in Golis? Oh, you studied Tanya, front row. Oh, you never opened the Tanya book in your life? Okay, we'll let you in, but you're all the way in the back. So, uh, please God, you'll all have a front row seat. Um, back to the Tanya. <laughs> did, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs>
he said that the Torah comes from the divine. The level of neshama, which is the divine. Versus the created beings, the souls and the angels, and even their intellectual comprehension and their emotion, which leads to their emotions, to their feelings of love and closeness to Hashem, and the feeling of a sense of awe of Hashem. That's created. So he says, so he asked the question that you said that the level of neshama of the world of Malchut cannot become a source for the created beings. That's the source of the Torah. When, in truth, we know that the level of Chabad, of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, is the source of the level of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the created beings. So they do, if they, so they do come from a higher source. So why do you say that they can't even receive from the level of neshama, the level of malchut, the lowest level, and therefore they're not godly, they are separate entities. But when we know that they are rooted in the level of chachma, it's the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the, of the upper worlds that creates the souls and their wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So we are in the middle of page 347. Now the Chabad of Berea, Yitzira, of the state of Neshama, by far transcends Malchut of Berea, Yitzira, of the state of Neshama. For Chabad is the highest of the spirit of the world, while Malchut is the lowest. Still, the Chabad of Berea and Yitzira are the source for Chabad of Berea, Yitzira, of the state of Nefesh, Ruach, namely the angel. Every world has the ten spirit, which are like the divine emanations, and they create the souls of that world. And they create the ability of their souls. The, the intellectual ability of the souls come from the Chabad, from the Chachma, the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So that is the source of creative being. Continue. How do we then say that Malchut of Berea and Yitzira of the state of Neshama cannot descend to become a source for created beings when Chabad of Berea and Yitzira of the state of Neshama that is far loftier than Malchut does serve as a source for created beings? This is not a question at all. For in truth, the angels and souls that are created of Chabad, Berea, and Yitzira are only of a drop from Chabad of Neshama to the attribute of Yesod, of Zah, and then transmitted to Nukva, i.e. to Malchut. And from there they, the souls and angels, went forth in a state of birth, a new entity resulted. So it, cannot, it doesn't receive it uh, uh, directly. Um, because wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, which is so lofty and divine, cannot be a source for the created entities, for the souls and the angels. But it is like the drop of, of semen, which is physical, but it originates in the mind. That's where, and it manifests itself in the, in the physical. So to give birth to souls, to give birth to created beings, it's like the, it originates in the Chabad, but it comes down in a, in, in a very physical, physical way, which enables it to give birth to something that's separate from the parents, something that's apart. Versus the Torah is the direct transmission of the divine mind, unadulterated not hidden, it's not concealed. 
even though it, it passes through the physical, it discusses the physical, it comes down to the world, into, into the world, but it remains completely overt and transparent and open, re- openly revealed. You're studying the divine mind, you're studying the divine will. What does Hashem think and what does Hashem, you know, the divine principles and the divine truths. And it's manifest in an open way. The physical is just, is just, uh, is just like a prop. It's just uh, there to express a divine idea, a divine concept, a divine will. So it's openly divine. Versus the angel and the soul, although they are created from the divine, but they are separate and apart. So even though they do come from the Chabad, our ability to think and to comprehend does come from the Chabad, the Chachma, the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the divine sphere of that world. But it comes by, like, by way of birth, which creates something separate and apart. Thus, this is not a mere emanation from Chabad, as is the case with laws, for such an emanation cannot, in fact, serve as a source of created beings. Rather, it resembles the drop that brings about a birth. For this reason, it is possible that created beings should result even from Chabad, Berea, and Yitzira. For even if it is proposed that they are created from the radiance of the vessels, Nukva of Atsiru, nevertheless, they themselves descend into Berea, Yitzira, and Atsiru, and become Nishama unto them. The essence of Habad of Neshama extends into the six directions of Kavay, and there they are the six orders of Mishnah and, Gomor- and the Gomorrah, the laws of the Torah. The essence of Habad thus descends specifically within the laws of Torah, which are divinity. Torah in turn descends within the level of Neshama, which is also divinity. I don't understand why is the descent to the level of neshama as opposed to any other level or the lowest level. The neshama is still godly, you know, just like when we feel we have a neshama. We feel our soul, we feel its existence, but we have no understanding of it. We know it's it's a mystery. All the scientists in the world can create the soul of a fly. You know, we're not a building block, we're not a mechanical event. You put together, put together a person, uh, and then a person starts feeling and is conscious. Life, consciousness, is something that comes from within. It's a mystery, it's a, we don't understand it. It's purely divine. So our neshama is really divine. But we don't sense that divinity. All we sense is the nefesh ruach. We feel that energy. We like energy. We want to feel energy. We want to be alive. We, you know, a person is looking. Life is being having energy, uh, excitement, but we don't make the divine connection. So the neshama is is it's still divine. You know, we f- we feel that we we have the neshama, but it it retains that divinity and that mystery which we can't explain that comes from within. It's it comes from Hashem. Um, and everything else is just a manifestation of, of the neshama. Like even the body is really a manifestation of the soul. The eye fits perfectly the soul's ability to see. It's almost a materialization of the soul. Whatever we have in the soul manifests itself on the, on, in the eyes and the ears and all the different organs in the body. So everything is really, it's really 
it's all about the divine. But that's from the perspective of the neshama. We don't have that perspective. We are disconnected. We sense our egos. We sense ourselves. I exist. I feel my body. The neshama is something you have to think about. It's not something that uh, naturally we, we, we feel our bodies. We feel ourselves. We feel energy. We want energy. We want all of that is nefesh. That's nefesh and ruach. That's already disconnected. That's already independent. The neshama remains connected. So everything has a neshama. Everything that exists has to have a neshama, has to have a, a divine energy, otherwise it wouldn't exist. But we don't sense that. We sense the outer, the external. So the neshama is, is everything has a neshama. Everything has a, a name, a Hebrew name. Everything has a name, a neshama. That's our life force. So God creates us and he sustains us and he gives us life. That's the neshama. So the neshama is the godliness. Without the godliness, we wouldn't exist. So we all have that, we have that neshama. But the neshama retains that godliness versus the nefesh ruach, like the body is, is, is already disconnected. I disconnect the energy from its source. I just, I want fun, excitement in my life, passion, excitement, but I don't necessarily make a connection to the divine. It's like, oh, like an independent entity. So that's already a disconnect. So he says it has to become, it becomes an neshama. Is it, is it the connector between the two lower levels and the two higher levels? The two higher levels live outside, exist outside the body. No, no, that no. Neshama is neshama is internal. It's internal. Internal. It's the highest level of the internal. It's internal. Then there is the transcendent energy. That's the higher. That's a different story altogether. Right. That's the part of neshama that doesn't enter. That remains. Like our aura that remains above us, that's so we, beyond we us. We think of that as the holy part. No, but nobody's saying no. Even the neshama, the neshama is still godly. Because like you say, the neshama, you can't explain the neshama. Where does life come from? It's, it's, it's a mystery. It's divine, really, if you think about it. It's, it's, you can't explain. It's not a mechanical event. It's not a technical event. It's a purely divine event. Life. You know? They should really make uh, stadiums around maternity wards to see See the miracle of life, the miracle of it. But you know, it's, it's a mystery. Life is a mystery. Life, if we were a sane world, we would sense that and we'd sense the mystery of life and it would humble us and we would all be godly and genuine, but it's, we're totally disconnected. We don't sense that. We don't, we're not aware of it. We don't, we don't realize it. You know, we don't, the mystery of life and the miracle of life. You know, we don't think about it until, God forbid, it's taken away from us. Then we think about it for a few moments. The miracle and the mystery of life. And how we have no control over it and it's totally a divine mystery. And, um, that's the neshama. That's within us. It's within us. Right now. But we don't sense it. We have, we have like blinders, <laughs> like disconnected, you know, we, we are walking around and we don't see and we don't hear, we're like blind, deaf and dumb. It's right in front of us, it's right inside of us and we completely, instead of jumping from joy, jumping with joy and, and feeling alive and connected, we are like completely disconnected. That's nefesh ruach and the body and the created beings. There's a disconnect. 
That's what it means. God created. There's a disconnect. The neshama is that that divine life force that we have within us. Are you saying nefesh and nefesh ruach is disconnected from neshama? Yes, nefesh ruach are, are created, and neshama is divine. Absolutely. So he says that the, all the created beings result from the Chabad of Bria and Yetzirah. And even if you want to say that they come from the level of Malchut, of the world of emanation, but they, they descend and they become the Neshama. They descend into the world and become the Neshama of that world. But the essence of Chabad, the essence of the Chabad, of the Neshama, of the world of, At- of Atzillus, the world of, of royalty, that's only in the Torah. The Torah is clearly divine. The Torah is clearly the Chabad in the Torah, the understanding of the Torah. That's obviously the divine mind and also the divine emotion, so to speak. Because when it says in the Torah, the emotions, guilty, not guilty, it's like kindness, or strength, should we embrace this object and say that it's kosher and we could elevate it, or should we reject it, which is a show of strength, a show of discipline, a show of... So it's all expression of emotions, like you make an emotional decision, a judgment, a determination. Do I embrace it? Do I love it? Do I reject it? So the whole Torah is... The ideas of the Torah then come down into the emotions which decide all these things, guilty and not guilty, kosher and not kosher, obligated and not obligated, pure or impure. So these are the emotional judgments. So in the Torah you have manifest the Chabad itself and of Hashem, the divine level of wisdom, understanding and knowledge and the divine emotions, which are the six Mishnah, the six orders of the Mishnah, which represents the six emotions, which are like the judgments. The, the Mishnah tells us the law, the embodiment of the law. The oral Torah is the embodiment of the law. The judgments. Yes, no. True, false. Guilty, not guilty. Kosher, not kosher. Permitted, not permitted. Okay, so next week, please, God, we're going to finish this uh, essay. This was uh, the longest essay in in the Tanya. The longest, maybe even the longest chapter in the Tanya competing with letter number 20, uh, also one of the deepest, one of the most profound. This whole uh, essay, and it really explains what's unique and special about prayer, why prayer, there's nothing like prayer. Prayer is so special. This is our strength, the voice of Jacob. This has been our strength throughout the generations. This is what kept us going. It's our prayer, the power of our prayer. How there's nothing like prayer, and prayer is unique. And, and then the second half of the letter of this essay, he describes the uniqueness of action, of deed, of mitzvah, the physical mitzvah, why Judaism places such an emphasis on the deed and the action, why action matters most. There's nothing like the actual doing the mitzvah. And he brings it out in so many different ways. It's just astonishing, astounding how he brings out what's so special about the action and the deed. We live in the world of action and that's what matters most. 
And then he's concluding here with what's so specially unique about studying of Torah. And there's nothing like studying of Torah and studying the Mishnah and studying the Talmud and studying the Halacha and studying all 613 mitzvot and getting into the nitty-gritty and even those mitzvot which are completely irrelevant and impractical at this moment in time and history. How, and that's why we spend this, such a chunk of our life uh, engaged in studying in great detail all these laws and mitzvot. And there's nothing like the studying of Torah because when you study Torah, you literally... You're touching the divine, and, 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 and the, 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 you know, and he's going to conclude next week. What's so special about emphasizing, highlighting, explaining what's so special about studying, studying of Torah? This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.